Uh, so glad you could join us today and be here. Um, I'm looking forward to today's message. I've been studying and praying all week, and I believe that today, um, as we begin to go into Romans chapter 6, if we can grasp what God wants to say to us today through this passage, um, that it's going to revolutionize your life. It's going to change you. How many of you guys believe that? About five of you. Okay, fantastic. You five will get what you believe um, you're going to receive. Uh, before I read Romans chapter 6, though, let me just um, review just a little bit. Um, we started this series, uh, gosh, probably three, four weeks ago now, and uh, we've only gotten through Romans chapter 2, and uh, we're actually going to fast forward now, go to Romans chapter 6. When we initially set out on this journey, I was hoping that we'd hit every chapter, but it's not happening, and so we will definitely come back and visit this book again next year and uh, spend a little more time in it, because I've been studying it and going through it, man, I'm, I'm just getting impacted by what it has to say and how I can live my life uh, for Jesus Christ. Uh, the theme of the book is righteousness. Uh, we discovered that uh, on the first day. Righteousness is this, acting in accordance with divine and moral law, free from guilt or sin, being in right standing with God. Okay, so the whole book is dealing with how we can be in right standing with God. How does one get there? How do we find ourselves there? And so week, uh, week one, we went through chapter one, and dealt with verses 16 and 17, becoming the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and how that happens and how that takes place. Week two, we dealt with chapter two, and we talked about three different types of people, uh, three different types of Jews as Paul referenced them, um, but really three different types of Christ followers. Uh, those three types of Christ followers were the one uh, that's religious, the religious person. The religious person says this, um, I, I know God because I read a lot and I teach others about it. Therefore, I should not be held under this, you know, this thing over here, okay? There's the ignorant person who just says, I don't know what's going on, okay? And we talked about that and how that doesn't really, really work. And then there's the other person, the moral person, all right? I should just make it to heaven because I'm just flat out a really good person, okay? And I mean, I look at myself every day in the mirror and I think I'm pretty phenomenal, okay? So we talked about that and how really that's, that's not going get to you, get you to heaven either. So we talked about that and where does righteousness truly come from? Coming from Jesus Christ. Chapters 1 through 3, um, really what they do is they paint a picture of how messed up we are without God. So if you were to, how many guys know that your life was messed up without God? How many guys are messed up right now and you realize it's because you need more of God? Okay, yeah, my hand's up, all right? And, uh, you know, and so our, really chapters 1 and 3 are just basically, they go, it goes through this list of stuff, and it's like, wow, we're really bad people without God, okay? You know what? When I mess up, it's not because I'm really close to God. I mess up because I'm, I'm just really not that close to God, and I'm just kind of doing my own thing. Uh, chapters uh, 4 and 5 then begin to lay out the fact that God has a plan, okay? Now, how many guys have tried your own plans before, okay? The Bible says that, man, your plans, guess what? They don't work, okay? So God comes up with a plan, and it's through Christ Jesus that salvation comes from him, and this is how we can remedy the whole thing, okay? Really bad, one through three. God's really good, four and five. I'm the solution, not me. He is the solution. And then chapters six through eight now, what it does is it begins to take the solution and it begins to make it personal to the people in Rome. In other words, it takes it and makes it personal to us today. So as we get into uh, chapter six today, um, what it's going to begin to do is it's going to begin to make it personal and it's going to begin to lay out the full plan of righteousness and how this works in our lives. Um, because the reality is, is most of us don't understand the full ramifications of God's righteousness in Christ Jesus. We think we do. We think we got a grasp on it. But today, as we unpack this thing, I believe you're going to understand it in a more thorough way. So with that, now let's read uh, Romans chapter 6 and begin to see what Paul has to say to us today about understanding righteousness in a more powerful way. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Paul's just like, no, what in the world are you people doing? How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Now, before I read any further, I just got to stop right there. Because here we go. One through three, we're really bad. There's a lot of sin happening. For chapters four and five, man, here's the remedy. Okay, now Paul proposes a question on what, what shall we do then? You're really bad. Here's the plan. What are you going to do? He says, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound because grace comes to sinners? And his response is, no. What are you, crazy? In other words, to Paul's understanding, this made no sense. Why? Because he understood the righteousness of God. And through this now, he realizes, wait a second, maybe they don't understand the full impact of the righteousness of God. And so he's like perplexed by this. He's like, no. Why would you continue in sin? Why would you continue to do that if you know what's wrong? Why would you continue to walk down that path if you know it's bad and it's leading to destruction? Okay? I just recently got the new iPhone. Does anybody have the new iPhone? Come on. All the, come on. If you got the new iPhone, just hold it up. Proud. Come on. That's right. Fantastic. There's three of us. The rest of you people, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Whatever. So... Anyway, when the iPhone first came out, uh, there, there was complaints about people, how they were losing reception when they held it a certain way, okay? And they ended up calling, calling this, this, the way they held this, the death grip, okay? And specifically more for left-handed people for some reason, right? Sorry, lefties. And so these left-handed people, when they would put the death grip on their phone and hold it, it would lose reception. And so Steve Jobs, the CEO of, of Apple, started getting emails. And the emails were like, dude, you need to fix this. You need to remedy this. You know, what's going on with this? And his simple response was this. Stop holding it that way. Light bulbs coming on. Bing, 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 bing. In other words, if you know that when you hold it that certain way, it's going to lose reception, don't hold it that way. Anybody else? Like, yeah, duh, you know? Okay. Here's the reality with us, okay? If we know that that is sin, stop holding it that way. <laughs> stop going that direction. Stop doing that. Okay, furthermore, if we know that going down this path is going to create issues in my life, stop going down the path, okay? Now, if I know there's certain things that upset my wife, and I know that, I'm going to stop doing them because I don't want my wife upset because then I'm upset. Then my children are upset. Then the church is upset, okay? okay? If I, here's the thing. Guys, Paul is saying this. Guys, no, you're missing it. Stop holding it that way. Stop looking at it that way. Let's move on. Do you not know that all of us, verse 3, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in, the de- in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In other words, you should do. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive in God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments 
for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. In other words, Paul is saying this, man, not only have you been washed from your sins, but now you, the, the, the power of sin has been broken. Okay, let's move on. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to... Yeah, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free, come on somebody, from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. I guess I'm the only one excited about that. I get to live forever. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for your word. I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that God, you would speak, God, to each and every one of us. God, we would learn today. God, we would grow today. God, we would walk away from this place challenged. We would walk away from this place encouraged. And we would walk out of, uh, out of this place more in love with you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I've shared this story before, but I'll share it again today because um, I think it can maybe help drive home a point. Um, I have two beautiful daughters, Cara, who is eight, Faith, who is five. And uh, when Faith, or when Cara was much younger, um, she came running out to me one day. And she came running out and she looked at me and she goes, Daddy, what's sex? Yeah, she was probably around five or six. Daddy, what's, what's sex? And I just looked at her and I, my eyes got really big and I'm like, Wow. You are way too young to be talking about that. I was like, we're cutting the cable, we're cutting everything, what's going on? You know, where did you learn this? And I was just like, well, you know what? If she's asking, I mean, I've got to tell her, right? So I begin to tell her, you know, well, here's what sex is. And I begin to describe it and begin to tell her and, you know, where she came from and how that all took place. And as I'm talking, her eyes are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm just like, man. Pretty soon she's changing colors. You know, she's getting like, like, she looks like a smurf. Like she's, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what did I do to my daughter? You know, how am I supposed to retract this conversation? You know, I've already gone this far and her eyes are getting bigger and they're like starting to bug out of her head. And so now I'm starting to get worried. I'm like, baby, well, why, why do you want to know what sex is? And she goes, well, mommy told me to come out here and tell you that dinner would be ready in a few secs. I was like, wow. Whoops. Huh. Huh. Whoops. Yeah. Blew that one, right? And I'm just like, whoa, she meant S-E-C-S. And I hear sex, and I know what I'm thinking about, okay? Just going to be honest with you. I've been married for 13 years. I mean, I know, I know it, you know? Okay, I'm not thinking S-E-C-S, the first, you know, I'm thinking, you know? So, and so now I'm like, whoa, okay. She came out with, you know, what is, when I heard sex, I knew what I thought, Okay? then where are we going with this? 
When we hear the word righteousness, we think we know what it means. We think it means this. We think that it means, oh man, my sins, they're all washed away. Thank God, because I was dirty, I was filthy, I was messed up. Chapters 1 through 3, I was bad, okay, because I was thinking about sex, all right? I was bad, okay? But here Paul comes on the scene now, and he realizes that this is the way that people, they see righteousness one way, but he sees that, and he's like, hold on a second, I've got to bring a greater understanding to their knowledge, just like I did to my daughter, praise Jesus, okay? Paul says, look, I've got to tell you the full package of righteousness. I've got to explain it to you because every time you hear it, you think, man, okay, that stuff's gone, okay? But there is more to the story. There's more to it. Paul says this, look, there's two parts to righteousness. There's a part called justification and there's a part called sanctification, okay? And he begins to unpack both of these for them throughout the, throughout the passage. There's two parts to this. The first part is, I'm dead to sin, That's the part that we all seem to grasp. Sweet. Sin is no longer on me. But the second part is often the part we miss, which is alive in Christ. I have a new life. Everything is brand new. Righteousness is not just me being, oh, okay, I'm clean now. I'm probably going to get some mud on me again. No, righteousness is, that's gone, but now I also have new life. I'm alive in Christ, okay? Paul puts it this way. He says, if you were baptized into the baptism of death, which is the part they grasp, yes, we understand that, then you also, in the likeness of his resurrection, okay? Now, when Paul was talking about this, he was specifically referencing what took place in the Old Testament, okay? In the Old Testament, you have the children of Israel, which were were typology of Christ's followers, okay? So when you read the Old Testament and you're reading about Israel, you're really reading about modern-day you, all right? This is you who you can relate to. So the children of Israel in the Old Testament, they end up in Egypt. And in Egypt, they are enslaved for a long time, okay? Now, Egypt in the Bible is a type and a shadow of the world or of sin, okay? So Egypt equals world sin. So when we hear Egypt, we can relate it to living in the world today. The children of Israel in the Old Testament, here they are, they're in bondage. The Bible says they literally are slaves. They have taskmasters over them, um, that, that these people are ordering them what to do, telling them how to do it, telling them when to do it, telling them when they can sleep, when they can eat, when they can do all this stuff. And that's why Paul makes reference in Romans 6 to being slaves to something. If you're, if you're obedient to that, then you're a slave to that, okay? Children of Israel, Old Testament, here they are. They're in bondage. They're in the world. They're in Egypt. Okay? God raises up a man named Moses for one purpose, to go in and begin to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt or to begin to bring people out of the world. Okay? Now this is a long transition, but as the transition begins to take place and as they begin to leave Egypt or as they begin to leave the world, they come to a place called the Red Sea. And this is where pa- Paul begins to reference baptism. They come to the Red Sea. At the Red Sea, a miracle takes place and the Red Sea is now parted, okay? The waters part. Pretty phenomenal, huh? Okay? The waters part. There's dry ground, and God commands them to walk over on dry ground. As they walk over on dry ground, and they're passing through the Red Sea, this is where they are being baptized. They are literally having the world or Egypt washed off of them. Are you with me? 
They're, they're leaving Egypt behind. They're being baptized as they go through the waters, and they're walking into a new, a new place, all right? So, man, that which is behind them, wow, look, Egypt's gone. Man, the world is gone. Sin is gone. Man, that was really bad back there. Man, I did all this stuff in Egypt. Man, I was a really bad person, okay? So here they go, and they go through the waters, okay? The cool thing about the story is it doesn't stop there. Okay? It didn't stop just passing through the waters and, okay, sin is washed off my life. Egypt is washed off my life. Okay? The Bible says that the Egyptians are so ticked off that they begin to pursue the children of Israel. And as they begin to pursue the children of Israel, what does God do? God now closes the waters on Egypt and destroys them so that they can no longer pursue the people of God. Hmm. Okay, now stay with me. Okay? Not only did they walk through and have Egypt washed off of them, but God now takes it a step further with the working of righteousness and says, not only are you going to be washed free from that, but I'm going to destroy the power of that which was slaving you. Hmm. Are you with me? Isn't the Bible cool? Not only am I, am I walking away from Egypt and wow, man, that stuff, this is what Paul is saying. Listen, guys, not only are you washed free from sins, but now that sin that had power over you, I've broken that power, I've destroyed that power, it will no longer chase you down, it will no longer come after you, it no longer has power over your life. Huh. This is the full package of righteousness. This is what Paul is trying to convey to the people in Rome. This is what God wants us to know today. Because too often times, ladies and gentlemen, we live somewhere in between. Hmm. The Bible says in Ephesians, let me give you the exact, the exact reference. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.6 that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Okay? We are seated. In other words, when you get right with God, when righteousness has its full effect in your life, you are now seated with God in heavenly places. We'll call this one heavenly places because it's higher than that one. Okay. Plus that one's brown and gross and dirty and hard metal like the ones you're sitting in. So we'll call this the place of sinners because you're all sitting in it. Okay. Just kidding. Okay. When righteousness comes, when, when, when the Bible says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now stay with me because this is going to continue to get better. Anyone who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow, I'm saved. I, I, I have the brown, dirty chair washed off my life. Praise Jesus. Okay? And this is where we understand, oh, man, that's so good to be, oh, man, that's fantastic. Righteousness. I've been justified. What's the justified simple definition for you? Just as if I'd never sinned. So the righteousness of God, justification comes, and it makes it just as if I'd never sit in that metal brown chair. That's uncomfortable. There's a reason why we use these. It's to keep you awake while we talk to you. Okay? So there it is. Man, it's gone. But we get stuck right here just kind of thinking that, wow, it was so good that that was washed off. I mean, see, there's three, three types of people, okay? There's those that are enslaved to sin. There are those that are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And there are betweeners. They're betweeners. Now, in all my years of ministry, I've come to understand something that the majority of Christ's followers get stuck right here for far too long. And they're betweeners. We should probably have another name in our church for people. There's Christ's followers, betweeners. All right? Which one are you? Okay. And they get stuck right here. They understand, okay, I'm no longer there, but I'm not quite. That's why the Bible says this in John 10, 10, that, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus has come to give you life and that you might have that life more abundantly. Okay? 
we get stuck in the might part for way too long. He came to give us life and that we might have that life more abundantly. But we get stuck right here, and this is what happens when you get stuck right here. You begin to get into a legalistic mentality. You are not fully set free. You begin, how do I mean you begin to live in legalism? Because we're out of that, but now we walk in fear, wondering if I'm ever going to go back to that. Thinking to myself, well, I, I can't do that, and, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't do that anymore, and I can't, I can't sleep around with my girlfriend or my boyfriend, and, and I can't get drunk anymore, and, and I can't, you know, look at those pictures anymore, and I can't do this, and I, and I can't do that, and, and I can't, I can't, I can't. That's legalistic. But that's where so many Christians live their life. I can't. Because if I do, I'm going to end up back in that chair, and I've sat in that chair every Sunday at Urban, and it's uncomfortable. I don't like it, okay? It's in this place where we get filled with fear and we get filled with doubt and we get filled with disbelief. That's why he, because here's what happened. When the children of Israel, this is so much fun. I'm having fun today. You having fun? Even if you're not, I don't care. I am, okay? It's all about, oh, I'm just kidding. Here's what's cool. They passed through the Red Sea, baptized, sin's power destroyed, and now they're walking forward, okay? They are literally leaving Egypt and they're going to Canaan. Egypt to Canaan. You got that? Brown chair to beautiful black chair. Your chair to my chair. Okay. They're leaving Egypt, going to Canaan. Okay. If you study it out, it is an eight-day journey. Eight days. From Egypt to Canaan. Guess how long they were making that journey for? Read your Bible. You'll find out. Okay. It was much longer than eight days. Like, way longer years. Lots of them. Only an eight-day journey. What happened? They got stuck in the middle. They got stuck right here. And you know what they called that place? They called that the desert. I lived in Vegas for three and a half years. I don't like the desert. Are you with me? (laughs) I'm in the promised land now. I'm in Canaan. I am in San Diego. And I'm never leaving. Praise Jesus. Okay? We're still trying to get some people out of the desert. <laughs> okay? Here they are. They're stuck there for a really super long eight-day journey. Okay? There they are. We get stuck right here sometimes. And it was in the desert. If you read Hebrews, Hebrews says this. It was because of their evil heart of unbelief. Wow. They lacked faith. They doubted. In this place right here, this is a place of doubting. This is a place of fear. This is a place of legalism. Here we live in fear, wondering, oh my gosh, am I ever going to go back there? I hope that, you know, sin, I hope I don't, man, if I see that picture again, then I might end up doing this. And if if she comes over again, I know that we're going to end up doing this. And and man, you know, if if, if alcohol gets in front of me, man, I can't control myself. And, you know, oh my God. Okay? That's a place of fear. Okay? I just can't do it. I can't. I mean, oh. Okay? We got stuck right here. Hmm. It's, I mean, God does not want you to live in fear, okay? Now, let me just say this. this is, righteousness does not just cover our sins. It covers every area of our life. When we talk about that we're no longer in that, but we're in this, we're no longer in that seat, but we're in this seat, 
that does not just mean that our sin is, is, is gone and that the power of it's broken. It means that poverty is gone and the power of poverty is broken. It means that sickness is gone and the power of sickness is broken. It means that emotional distress is gone and the power of emotional. It means that if you have an addictive personality and you keep getting pulled this way, that when righteousness comes in your life, not only are addictions taken away, but the power that it had over your life is broken in Jesus' mighty name. But we get stuck right here. God wants us to have life, that we might have that life more abundantly. Too many of us live somewhere between Egypt and Canaan. New Testament, some of us live, 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 live our life in between the day Jesus was crucified and the day he was resurrected. My sins died at the cross. Sweet, sin's dead. Keep reading the story. But he rose from the grave so that you might have newness of life. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Jesus defeated not only the sin, but he defeated the power of sin so that you don't have to live under it any longer. Amen. Amen. This is where he he wants you to get out of here. Because in here, man, there's fear. We think about our health sometimes. And I think Google is one of the greatest blessings and one of the greatest curses. I found myself the other day, we were camping. We're sitting around, we're camping. What would we do without iPhones? We'd be in a conversation, someone would come, someone would come up and like, oh, hold on, let's Google that. Probably about seven times per conversation. Oh, I don't know. And then, and then you Google it and you're reading about that. And what does that mean? I don't know, let's Google it. Okay? All right? It's like, you know, you Google everything, right? Here's where it's bad though, okay? If you have really bad health insurance or if you don't have health insurance at all, What's the first thing you do when you start having a little pain? You Google it. Right? That is a mistake. That is from the devil right there. You talk about living in fear, you know? I was like, oh, man, I got this little pain in my shoulder. Pain in shoulder. Ah! Oh, my. Oh, I have that one, too. And that one. I only got three days to live. Okay? Y'all know what I'm talking about? We live in fear. And the first thing, why is it that the first thing we always think is negative? Because we're living right here. Why do we always begin to, the first thing we do is begin to doubt, begin to fear? That's what kept the children of Israel in that desert. Why do we do that? Are you with me? It's like, you, you, has anybody ever bounced a check before? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want. <laughs> You're talking about in the last 24 hours or the last 24 days? I mean... <laughs> Okay? You, you, you bounce a check, and I've, you know, I've bounced a few in my life, you know? Okay? And sometimes we got married. I don't know, have we? She took over the finance, and we got married, and then I haven't, I, they've been so much better. Okay? I'm the one that has the problem buying all the shoes and the clothes. And, hey, watch it. You bounce a check. You bounce one check, and you're like, oh, man, I'm horrible at finances. Every check I'm going to ever write is probably going to bounce from here on out. I mean, you know, what, you know what the problem is? It's my boss's fault. I need a pay raise. I need a better job. I mean, they don't do anything anyway. I mean, he's the CEO, and he thinks he knows everything. He doesn't know nothing. Okay? And you also need to begin to go down this train about how bad life. You know, and then, you know what? It's my boss's fault. I mean, my finances are horrible. You know, it's probably my boss's fault that I'm not married, too, because if I had more money, then I could dress better. Then I could get me a girl. Then I could treat her right. But I'm bouncing checks. I'm going to be single the rest of my life. Okay? Right? We think the worst, okay? 
God wants to destroy that mentality today. God wants to break this betweener mentality. God wants to take you from life to life more abundant. Because if you've been baptized into the likeness of his death, certainly you also in the likeness of his resurrection. Meaning that, wow, when righteousness came, not only did sin get washed off my life, but the eight-day journey... Praise Jesus. Hopefully it only takes eight days and we get right here and we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Amen. It's by grace. But here's the thing that Paul says. If you turn with me now to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to close here because this has been really good. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. This is where Paul begins to make the transition in talking about, man, you know, here's the plan. Here's how it works. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by what? Faith. To be received by faith. To be received by faith. To be received by faith. Here Paul begins to make it personal. Here's the true package of righteousness. You not only have been justified just as if you've never sinned, but now you've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Therefore, the power of that thing that had you living there is now broken. You no longer have to go back to it. You no longer have to be enslaved to it. It no longer has power over you. Let me close right here. If it no longer has power over you, then why do we end up back here or here? Because we choose to no longer allow Christ to be our master, and we make a choice to come back under Egypt. We make a choice to come back under the power of sin. The power of sin has been broken off your life. If you begin to, oh man, I'm struggling with this again. Check where you're seated. Check where you're at. The disbelief, the doubt, it'll keep you back. But I want you to know something today. The power of it has been broken. Hmm. See, the world deals with things differently. The world doesn't understand this concept. The world really understands this concept. That's why 12-step programs are so successful. Do they have a place? Can they help people? Yeah, but listen to me. It's not their program that makes it successful. It's the community of people that are holding you accountable that make it successful. Anybody that's ever been through one will probably bear witness to that. Without accountability... Same is true in the Christian walk. But see, the world understands this. But they don't have an understanding that you can never get free. Hi, my name is Ben and I'm an alcoholic. But I, I, I've been sober now for 175 days. That's not true, by the way. I'm not an alcoholic. But I just want to clarify. Some new people might be like, whoa. I knew this was a new church. but okay. And for the rest of their life, I am so-and-so, I'm alcoholic. I've been free for seven years and 13 days. 
But Christ comes along and says, "Uh uh-uh. No, 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 no. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are no longer an alcoholic. Why? Because if an alcoholic has died with Christ, therefore the alcoholic is dead. Therefore, alcohol has no more reign in him. Why? Because he's now a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That not only works with that, it works with every area of your life. In Christ Jesus, I'm telling you right now, every, that's why Jesus said this in John 19, verse 30, like we talked about earlier. It is finished. Works for your body. He's Jehovah Rapha, our healer and our health. It works for your finances. He's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. It works in every area of your life. We need to get out of here. We need to get out of here. And we need to get right here and realize we've been seated with Christ in heavenly faces. Stand to your feet as I pray. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you, Lord God. God, we thank you. You are so good. God, your power is evident. God, your power is real. God, your power is being manifest right now. Just close your eyes for a minute. Because I believe that today, someone's going to get set free right now. Someone's going to step into life more abundant. Someone's going to step into the abundance of grace, the abundance of righteousness. There are some of you here today that you've been living in the between. You've been living in the between. He's coming today saying, no, 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 I want you to get on. Righteousness has two parts justified just as if I'd never sinned, sanctified a new life in Christ Jesus. Justified, my sins are washed away. Sanctified, I'm walking in the fact that sin's power is broken. Poverty's power is broken. Sickness power is broken. Emotional distress is broken. Uncertainty is defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's complete, it's full, it's effective, it's real, and it's for you.